Hi, everyone. I'm Brenda Lowry with SciFi. Thank you so much for joining our call today for Hollywood Treasure, which is a new half-hour weekly reality series that we're premiering on Wednesday, October 27th. We'll be airing two back-to-back episodes every Wednesday at 10 o'clock and at 10.30. Um, the series delves into the fast-paced world of showbiz and pop culture memorabilia, and today we have the show's star, Joe Maddalena, owner of Profiles in History, on the phone. Um, and I'll send it back to the operator for first question. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to register a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1 followed by the 3. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before entering your request. One moment, please, for the first question. And the first question comes from the line of Patty Grippo with Pazaz.com. Please go ahead. Hi. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you. Great. Um, now, we've all read your bio, and we have some idea of, of what, how you got started in all of this. But how did the idea for making this into a television show come about? You know, for years, I've done lots of press. I've done, you know, from you know Bill O'Reilly to, you know, you, you name it, I've done you know, hundreds of interviews. And, you know, every time I do an interview, a reporter will say to me, well, gee, you should have your own show. You have such great stories. Uh, Years ago, I hooked up with actually Jerry Hurst, who's the producer of this show, and I did a show called Incurable Collector. So I'd known Jerry for years. And, you know, basically out of the blue, Jerry came to me um, and said, hey, you know, do you want to do a show? And then it happened. Well, great. And let me ask you, what's the most interesting piece of memorabilia you've run across in all of your years of doing this? Wow, that's a tough question. You know, I just unwrapped a package. Uh, there was a movie called Miracle on 34th Street, and there's, uh, you know, Santa Claus, obviously, and there's this famous scene in the movie where he's walking down the street, and he looks into this window display on Madison Avenue, and he sees Santa Claus is sleigh and reindeers, and I just got it in, and I just was unpacking the box a few minutes ago. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen, because it's, you know, the reindeers are about 12 inches tall. When you think about the, the magic of movie making, it's just such a cool thing. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, it's really thank cool. you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and our next question comes from the line of Troy Rogers. Please go ahead. It's from the deadbolts.com. Okay. Hi, Joe. Hey, Troy. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for taking the time. Um, You're welcome. Uh, what I really wanted to know is, out of everything in this world of entertainment collectibles, um, what's the holy grail above everything else? The ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. I, I think, our, you know, there, there are things that are missing, but, I mean, the ruby slippers to me are like Van Gogh's Starry Night. They're, 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 they are the most symbolic thing of film history. So, you know, there are four pairs that survive. There's a missing pair that we think existed that no one knows what happened to it. There's a, a rumor Toto might have eaten a pair. And then in 2005, a pair was stolen out of the Judy Garland Museum. So one of the themes of the show is we're searching for the ruby slippers everywhere. Cool. All right. Um, congratulations on getting the witch's hat from Wizard of Oz. I know it was cool. <laughs> and uh, well, can you talk about some of the other items that you've been waiting just as long to get your hands on, aside from the ruby slippers? Yeah, you know, we, there's a there's a rumor that the Tin Man's costume is in Colorado. See what happened? People don't really understand is in the 60s and 70s the studios broke up, so the end of contract players, the end of the massive massive lots like Fox became Century City. MGM liquidated everything. So 
they sold just stuff in mass. So especially in the 70s, the MGM sale, they liquidated the entire lot. So most of this material is scattered around the world. I found the hourglass from the Wizard of Oz in Napa, California, 10 years ago. You know, that's worth probably a million dollars today. So these things are just everywhere. So one of the things we do, it's very much like CSI and a lot of, you know, investigation work is tracking these pieces down because a lot of them exist. It's just finding them again. It's just these trails have been cold for 30 and 40 years. And a lot of that's what we do. We put up our wish list on the board and then try to find these things. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, one it more is a lot of fun. Sure. Uh, how much of this stuff do you want to keep for yourself? And what, uh, items like to... do you, what items do you try to buy? You know, I'd love to keep everything, but I learned many years ago my parents were antique dealers, and the rule of thumb is once you do this for a living, you can't really keep anything because your collectors will think uh, you keep all the good stuff. I collect things that are sentimental to me. In my office, I have from Buck Rogers, I have Tweaky, the little robot who is Buck's sidekick, and around his neck is Theopolis. I bought that because when my son was six years old, we met Felix Siller, who was the actor, and they bonded, and it was this whole thing, and that's something, it's sentimental to me. So if you came to my office, I have an eclectic mix, but it's what I grew up with. It's memories of my parents, memories of my childhood, memories of my son. So you'll see comic art, you'll see animation art, you'll see illustration art, You'll see Mickey Mantle all over the wall. You know, this is very eclectic, so it's more of sentimental things that I collect for myself. Excellent. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. And our next question comes from the line of Jamie Ruby with the SciFiVision.com. Hey, Please Jamie. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for talking to us. I just wanted to say quickly. I actually about 11 years ago, I saw the. I assume they were one of the real pairs of ruby slippers that were at the Fox lot on display when we were at the set there, and they're beautiful. Gorgeous. I, I, I have a feeling that's the pair that was stolen. I think the, 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 the deterring pair belonged to Michael Shore. And in 2005, the week of Katrina, the Judy Garland Museum was robbed, and the, sneak, uh, the slippers were stolen. It didn't get very much news because it was the week of Katrina, and it kind of, kind of went into oh. the, you know, it didn't wasn't a big news story, obviously. So we're basically picking up that trail of 2005, and we're actively searching and trying to source that. We're offering a $10,000 cash reward to anybody with the lead that leads to the recovery of these slippers, so we're, we're out there trying to find them. Cool. Um, so, I know you talked about how you turned this, into, how you turned it into a television show, but what kind of, in the beginning, made you want to, you know, I know you started selling historical documents, and that was it kind of a love of history, or... Is there no, something first, more yeah, behind that? No, I love a history. My parents were antique dealers, so being a young, you know, kid hanging around with them, you know, the Oriental rugs in China and porcelain just bored me to tears. So I found uh, the paper things, whether it was documents or rare books or comic books or baseball cards, something that at least I was interested in. So like them, I started collecting them and buying and selling them. When I started my company in '85, you know, I still to this day sell historical documents. We're probably one of the largest dealers in the world. My favorite thing was American literature, Dashiell Hammett, F. Scott Fitzgerald, William Faulkner, James Joyce. And I realized that some of the greatest movies ever made were written by these guys. So I started to say, hmm, I wonder how much different Hammett's screenplay is than the book. And I realized, wow, Hammett didn't write the screenplay. Somebody else did. So I started to collect this stuff. And I started to collect things related to these movies. And people would come in the office to buy other things, and they'd think, wow, this is so neat. Where did you get this costume sketch? Where did you get this prop? And that's how I kind of started. Cool. Now, I know at the conference you, t you started to talk some about um, the lost auction that you did. Can you talk a little bit more about that, kind of like maybe what went for the most or some of the other po um, popular props that sold? 
Sure. The, uh, in the lost auction, I believe the most expensive thing that sold was the Dharma van. It was a VW van. It was the really nice clean hero van. It brought $47,500. Um, I guess the coolest thing was, you know, a 12-pack of uh, open cans of Dahmer beer sold for five thousand dollars. So, you know, it's it just. I think what's happened is is that um, the studios have become aware that this is a vital part of marketing. That to have these auctions helps their brand and help gets the word out. So I was fortunate to do this auction last year. Uh, Michael Bay, uh, during the Transformers Two movie, came to me and said, "Hey, I want to get some of this stuff out to the fans." And we sold Transformer Two things while the movie was out. We sold the Bumblebee car, the eighteen foot Bumblebee, you know, animatronic figure. So I think it's a great way to promote movies and television shows, and I think people are starting to become more aware of this because these are pop, pop culture is really um, an international currency. You can go anywhere in the world they know who Harry Potter is. They might not remember who Mickey Mantle was, but they remember the Terminator, and I think because it's a global collectible, it's growing and growing. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Sheldon Wybie with Eclipse Magazine. Please go ahead. Hi, Joe. Thanks for doing this. Hey, Sheldon. How are you this morning? So far, so good. Um, <laughs> now, when I was watching the premiere, the, the screener they sent out, I, I, I was really involved in the story of the Mary Poppins carpet bag because that's a really odd set of circumstances, but with the raffle and everything and being in a basement for umpty ump years. What are the strangest circumstances under which an item came to you, and what was that item? Uh, this is kind of a fun story. In uh, 2000, my secretary comes in and she says, there's this guy on the phone. His name is Herb Solo. He says he created Star Trek. He's kind of arrogant. He wants to talk to you. I'm like, he didn't create Star Trek? Gene Roddenberry did. I didn't even heard of this guy. He was pretty persistent, so I got on the phone, and he corrected me real quickly and said, yes, I was the executive in charge of production for NBC. Desilu, I bought Star Trek for Gene Rod- from Gene Roddenberry, and he was right. Herb and I became friends immediately because he was just a total character. And, you know, and, you know, he helped me get Matt Jeffries, who was the Star Trek set do- designer for the original series collection. And when I was working with Matt um, to sell his archive of Star Trek memorabilia, I said to him, what else do you have that you took home that was cool? And he goes, you know what? In my airplane out in Camarillo, I have the original carpeting from the bridge of the Enterprise. Like, Why do you have it in your plane? He goes, well, insulation. My brother, and I, brother, my brother and I, when we yanked it off the floor of the bridge, we use it to, to insulate the, our little you know, prop planes. So we went out there and we pulled out a section as big as we could pull out, and we put it in Matt's auction. Cause I, thought, I thought it was just going to be like a curiosity. You know, here's a bridge from the Enterprise, Ozai carpeting. It's worth a dollar a yard. And uh, we hit it at two to $300. It sold for $14,000. So that one I'll never forget. <laughs> oh, that's quite the story. Uh, yeah. what, are the, what are the greatest lengths you've had to go to to obtain an item, and what was that? Um, I've, we've traveled around the world. The furthest place I've been is Tokyo. Um, I bought an archive of uh, Toho posters, Godzilla, Ultraman, a very large collection of important Japanese movie posters of Japanese film culture, Seven Samurai, Rashomon, things like that. Um, in the show, you're going to see us traveling to England in search of really great things. So we go anywhere we can find them. You know, wherever, wherever films were made, we're, we're, we're searching. Cool. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Hello? It's uh, Jim. Jim from MoviePropCollectors.com. Jim from MovieProp. That's a very famous website. Oh, thank you. Um, You're welcome. Funny, I didn't hear. Uh, good morning. Thanks for joining everybody here. Sure. 
Uh, my question is, uh, w when you were filming the show, and of course I'm sure you, you have an idea of um, how you want it to go, what, what is your hope or what was your hope that people who are watching this type of a program for the first time are going to take away from this, like what type of an experience and what they're going to get out of the show? I did this because I really, really love what I do, and I really think it's important to take care of these artifacts because I really feel they're a part of our culture. And I just want people to enjoy the ride, the fun that we go through, how exciting it is to find these things, the amazing people we meet, I mean, the great stories. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's this great journey. And unlike a lot of other shows, you actually get to see the fruits of our labor because you have, at the end of what all we do, we actually sell the items or try to sell the items. There's actually a, fin a final beat of what happens, and you go, you get to go back to the person who consigned it. And you hear from them what their experience was. So I really enjoy it. I love being out there and meeting the people, and I love finding the stuff. Yeah, when I was watching the um, the rough cuts of the first two episodes, you really, I mean, I, I love it because of the site, and I love doing this, you know, finding the items, and it's like you're part of the film, and you're saving it, and I think everybody, whether they're somebody who's, who's done this before or does it because it's, it's a passion like yours and, and like mine, that they're going to become involved and that they're going to want to see more of what's going to happen and are you going to get the item and is it really the item and who ends up, you know, what home it goes to. And the fact that everybody's really saving a part of Hollywood history, I think, is very important and, and you should be commended for that. Oh, thanks. That's the journey. I mean, that's what I hope everybody gets to go on. It's fun. There's, like I said, there's a little CSI, a little detective work. Uh, sometimes we run into stone walls quite often, but it, it's, uh, you know, I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we have. It's been a lot of fun making the show. Yeah, it's, it's really, really cool, and it, it, it brings back a memory from the Zories of film that everybody loves, and you, you, you seem to be finding all of them. I think it's great, and uh, thanks for doing it. You're welcome. Continue watching. Thanks. And our next question comes from the line of Sammy Ternano with the TD Grapevine. Please go ahead. Hi, good. Hi, how are you? It's good to good. talk to you again. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. My first question is, what was the one thing you thought was impossible to find but you actually ended up finding anyway? A chitty chitty bang bang. Oh, wow. That was amazing. What's yeah, the story behind that? You know, the car had been um, off my radar forever. I mean, I just look at it and say, gee, that's one of the most iconic cars in film history. And w how we tracked it down and basically the owner, uh, the man that basically he traded a year's wages working on the movie for the car. <laughs> and he basically got the car instead of a salary. And just, you know, we had to travel to England to find this car. So when you see the car and you realize what it looks like, it just takes your breath away. Because well, the first time I saw the car, just being in its presence, I literally couldn't speak. It, it was It's a, that powerful when you see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So that was that that did it for me. Oh, wow. And uh, besides Ruby Slippers, what's next on your list to find? Wow, see, I'm, I'm a Wizard of Oz obsessed person, so I know the Witch's Broomstick is out there, the Tin Man's costume is out there. There are so many things that are lost. There's, you know, almost everything is lost. There's all these great biblical epics. You know, I'd love to find Charlton Heston's staff from the, you know, Ten Commandments, you know, his Moses costume. There's so many amazing things out there that we still, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Sounds good. Well, I thank you for talking to us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Nancy Harrington with the Pop Culture Passionistas. Please go ahead. Hi, Joe. Thanks for talking to us. I'm actually here with my sister Amy. We're right. You're welcome. Her. I think I just became your Facebook friend. 
Oh, yeah. excellent. That's great. Yeah. Um, so it's just there's just so much stuff out there. How do you how do you know where to start? How do you does this stuff come to you, or do you just pick an item and say I'm going to go try to find it? You know, it's a combination of both. You know, because I've been doing this for almost three decades now, and we're here in Los Angeles. You know, we've built up this amazing network, and my success is really based upon the clients and the people that I've dealt with for decades because they're your ambassadors. They're out there at cocktail parties with friends, you know, at movie, and they're always like, hey, you have something called this guy. So when we're not sure of something, we reach out to people and say, hey, have you ever heard of, like, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? We reached out to 20 or 30 people who thought might have an idea, and one guy was like, oh, yeah, I can help you with that. So we, you're going to see a lot in the show. You're going to see a lot of us going to experts, people who are like movie historians, people who really do specific things in one genre of film collecting, and we reach out to them, and they help us find things, authenticate things. So that's definitely, it's both. Either we, we take a cold lead and, and look for somebody to help us who might have either worked in the production or been a collector at the time, and then try to resurrect the lead, because most of these things are out there, but people that have them don't know. See, like baseball cards and comic books and stamps and coins, we all know they're valuable. We've taken them out of the boxes. We've told the sad stories of mom throwing them away and the ones that have survived. They've been graded and sold. These things, people really don't know they have them because, oh, yeah, Uncle Bernie, he was a filmmaker. We have all these boxes in the basement. They don't realize they could be stop-motion puppets for some 1950s, you know, B-movie that I would kill to get my hands on. So it's out there. All right. Oh, it's fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about um, guest stars like Don Wells and Stan Lee and, and what what connection they have to the memorabilia? Um, you know, one of the one of the constant themes of the show is I'm always like, we need to reach out to the people who worked on these shows, especially the celebrities, because they may have things. So you're going to see me, lot, we have lots of celebrities on the show where we're basically going to them and looking at what they have and possibly selling it or appraising it or valuing it. It's Most of the show is about finding the material, because we don't get everything we go after right away. So we're trying to identify where it is and who has it, and then we help a lot of these celebrities either archive it, take care of it, preserve it, and a lot of them are surprised at what it's worth one way or the other. Either they think it's worth a lot more than it is or a lot less than it is. So you're going to see a lot of that interaction. You're going to find me searching for these things that are just so iconic and the people that helped me along the way are just, you know, you'll see celebrities. Excellent. Thank you. Well, great. good luck with the show. It sounds you're fascinating. Welcome. Thank you very much. And our next question comes from the line of Aaron Sagers with the Tribune Company and Paranormal Pop Culture. Please go ahead. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I was actually wondering, is there a market for items that never appear on the screen but become a part of the myth of a film or TV show or some other pop culture? And if so, what is the... Uh, most popular item that you can think of that well, well, never give me made an example. It it. Give me an example you'd be talking about so I can better answer your question. What? What? what give me an example of what, what? What something like that may be so I can understand the question better. Um, well, one of the things I'm thinking of is with Disney. Um, there was a at the Haunted Mansion ride at Walt Disney World. There was the Hatbox Ghost, and um, supposedly there is a a prop from this this ride of the Hatbox Ghost that is out there somewhere. Um, according to what I have heard, um, but it never made it onto the ride. 
so people are still searching for this thing, based on my understanding. So, <laughs> is there anything so, that you can think of that's like that? You know, that so I never what, actually what, made it. Well, like Disney attractions, we do. We, you know, we're very interested in like one of the one of the things we have coming up in our December auction. When you go to the haunted mansion in California, and you go into the room before you go down to, into the cars, the ceiling, you know, elongates, and those giant paintings appear on the wall. Well, those paintings for years were real paintings, and now they're copies that are put up there but every so many you know decades they would take them down in the 60s they took them down and put a new setup one of the ones with the girl um uh, with the uh, umbrella with the guy in the tightrope above her we actually have that painting you know so it's probably one of the most important pieces of disneyana in existence so it didn't make it on into the haunted mansion movie but it's super valuable because it's part of the haunted mansion mythology okay and um, is there a specific, uh, a particular director or filmmaker that is really protective of their of their memorabilia, of their props? You know, they just don't want it out there, don't want it to be sold, um, you know, out on the open market. Is there anyone that's especially protective of their stuff? Well, I think, you know, everybody's protective of their stuff to a certain point. It's just a matter of how it's put out there. There are so many charity auctions that people participate in. I mean, Lucas Films is very protective of everything, but, you know, George Lucas has donated a Darth Vader helmet to the Director's Guild years ago. He's very good about donating things. So I think it really is how it's presented. I mean, everybody wants to protect their IP, which is so important, and but also simultaneously they want to work with the fans to make sure that, you know, this is their bread and butter of how they, you know, we're the ones who dictate what's good and what's not good because we put our money down or flick the dial. So I think that it's more a matter of being respectful of all of these people and what they do and making sure that the things that come out are legitimate. Okay. And um, finally, uh, we know a little bit about what you're looking for for yourself, but um, what is the item that when your friends or when new people meet you and find out what you do, what is the item that people say, hey, if you if you run into this, set it aside for me? <laughs> so I would say that the, the, um, Stan Winston was a dear friend before he passed away. And, you know, in, in, for, for two or three years, I worked very closely with Stan and was fortunate enough to take care of his collection and sell off his collection. Now I work with his family, his wife and his kids and stuff, and I archive all their assets. And... Stan obviously did Iron Man. A day doesn't go by that I don't get a phone call. Can't get an Iron Man? No, can't get an Iron Man. I mean, it's the most requested thing because they know I have the direct connection. The Iron Mans are all owned by Marvel Entertainment Group. They're not being sold, and uh, it's probably the most requested thing I get. Excellent. All right, well, thank you for the time, your time. You're and welcome. I'm, uh, looking forward to more episodes. Thank you. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks. And our next question comes from the line of Jason DeBoard with the original prop. Please go ahead. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? Hey, Jason, how are you? Nice to hear your voice. <laughs> yeah. So I watched the screeners. They were very um, well done. I was really impressed. I have a one kind of long-winded question for you, so bear with sure. me. Sure. Um, I know you've been long recognized as a pioneer in the hobby with uh, your auction house events, which have always attracted a lot of mainstream media attention because you've sold a lot of important pop culture artifacts. And, of course, the price is realized is usually what attracts attention to the mainstream media. Um, with the launch of Hollywood Treasure, you'll likely cement your position not only as the public kind of face for the field, but will likely become recognizable as a personality to the masses, kind of like Con Stars and uh, American Pickers. 
So with that, I think you're going to have more of an ability to shape the future of the hobby. And I kind of see the TV show as, as really something that's happened in the short time I've been collecting is something that's really going to change things more so than anything you know, since I've been around. Um, and with that, you're going to be framing a lot of non-hobbyist general understanding of what the hobby is, how it works. So my question is, do you have plans to in some way incorporate into your new television series information that can serve kind of as a warning to potential collectors of some of the dangers and pitfalls that they may face, um, such as fraud in the marketplace? Oh yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the one of the um, predominant elements as you watch the season go on is authentication. We're meeting with so many experts finding out how things are made, you know, and we, we encounter things that aren't authentic and we explain how we know and that's one of the biggest things. We're very skeptical of everything we encounter. Like the carpet bag, you or Jason was involved in helping me find the carpet bag. Without Jason, I would have never gotten that lead. And, um, you know, so even with the carpet bag, there was like we weren't 100% sure until we could get it back and actually spend hours examining it. And then we were able to forensically pinpoint the pattern of the fabric of the carpet and know it was that specific carpet. So, yeah, a very big concern is making people aware of, you know, how you authenticate this material. You know, this just the whole process of how it's made. We're, we're, we're visiting prop makers, prop shops, producers, directors. We're learning about the whole process. And one of the great parts... I hope is the studios continuing to sell things in my November auction that we're doing in conjunction with the show. Sci-fi was great, and they gave us like stuff from Caprica and Eureka and um, um, uh, Battlestar Galactica. So more material is coming out of the studios because of a show like mine that would never come out before. In this auction in November, from what we're doing with the uh, uh, Variety Kids, which is a California-based charity for at-risk and abused kids, we have the identity disc for Tron. So here's an opportunity for somebody to get something right from Disney of a movie that's going to be a blockbuster. So it's kind of like, I think it's going to be self-policing in that regard because I think more material like that is going to come onto the marketplace. And that's what I'm going to kind of really urge people to pay attention to because of the source of origin. Yeah, I was, I was impressed because in that one episode you do kind of go into the screen matching of that carpet bag, which I think is good because it really elevates people's understanding of what you have to go through to really authenticate something rather than it just comes with a COA and it's on eBay, for instance. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot of... Um, um, work like that. There's a lot of forensic type examinations where we re- and we bring in people and bring in experts and we bring in you know there's there's a lot of that in the show. You can see what what we go through to authenticate something to the point of where you'll laugh. You'll be like, oh my god, <laughs> you know we we've actually we, we you know we had something that we've actually brought in the actor who wore it and we were nervous because he took it out of the box and you know, I'm saying, hey, you wore this costume and he picks it up and he looks at it and he goes, this is my costume. I can't believe it. And then he goes into the detail about see that whole do you know how this happened? I got caught in the door. It was just, it was great to hear that. You know, it was just, yeah. and that's one of the cool things about the show. But again, hopefully after a couple of seasons, somebody at home will be able to um, learn how to do that themselves, where they, they basically do what we do, match these things up, ask the questions, only buy from people where you can get your money back. I mean, it's the same thing as anybody else. The best collector is an informed collector, and that's what I'm hoping to do is teach people about this great hobby and how we go about doing what we're doing. And there are, there, and then, then nothing is free.
Right. right. And yeah, and I think just from the two, from the two episodes, episodes I watched, I think it really underscores the fact that no one is an expert in everything. You really have to do a lot of, excuse me, networking and getting in touch with people from the production that can actually, you know, share. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and film historians and, you know, I mean, we go everywhere. I mean, we don't leave a stone unturned in that regard. You know, we're going to the people who actually made the stuff, and that's why one of the things we have are the celebrities on the show, and, you know, we're going to them for, you know, information and Collections and you know it's 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 really comprehensive because you know we're going after two or three things per episode so it's you know we can really focus on those but it gives people an idea you know of what you know they can do too because it's fun I mean you get something it's fun to screen match it and say oh my god there is my piece I matched in that scene you know right. it's painstaking laborious to do that but you can do it with DVDs and Blu-rays it's all that's possible now right well thanks for your time and asking my question you're welcome thanks Jason you later. thanks yep, thank you. And we have a follow-up question from Jamie Ruby with the com. Please go ahead. Hi again. Hi. Um, so there is an item. Is there an item that you're really looking for that you found that just the person will not part with? Kind of like oh, what happened yeah, originally yeah. with the hat. For sure, <laughs> lots of them. <sighs> lots of them. But that those are kind of some of the surprises of the show that I don't know if I can tell you specifically oh, what sure. they are. But yeah, we do. I do bang my head in the wall where it's like, you know, I find something that's worth a million dollars and they're just not going to sell it. So, yeah, there's a lot of that <laughs> for sure. Do you, have you come across something where maybe you've gone to, you know, to really far lengths to find out about and then find out that the person, either that it, that they didn't know it was fake or maybe that they did know it was fake and they, you know, dragged you all the way out there? Has that happened? I think a lot of people just don't know what they have one way or the other, you know, especially when you're dealing, quote-unquote, with the public as, an, as opposed to studios and production companies. You know, um, we had somebody come in with a spaceship, and uh, she said, gee, her grandfather told her it was from Flash Gordon. Well, in two seconds, I figured out it wasn't from Flash Gordon. And, you know, it took six months for her to kind of, her, us to get her on the phone again to tell her to come in and pick up the spaceship. In that ensuing six months, another guy walked in, and he goes, where did you get that? And I'm like, why? He goes, my God. I haven't seen that in 50 years. I'm like, you know what that is? And he goes, yeah, I worked on that film. It's from Adam Man versus Superman. I'm like, you're kidding. He goes, no, no, let me go home and do some research. So he came back, and lo and behold, (laughs) this was it. I mean, this is Lex Luthor's spaceship. So the girl was blown away because she really, all she had was her grandfather's recollection who worked in the film industry what this was. She either heard the story wrong or made up a story in her own mind from recollections. And for me, it was, okay, well, this is obviously, it's not from that, it can't be, you know, I can't wish it to be. So it was just serendipity that somebody else came in. And that's one of the great parts, like Jason's question, there's so many people out there. This guy literally came in to bring us something else and saw it and was like, oh, my God. So there's a lot of that. Great. One more quick question. Um, we've we've asked a lot and talked about kind of what's been worth worth the most money. But is there anything that you've come across that you really were so excited to get, and then when you put it up for auction, it didn't do as well as you had hoped? It happens a lot. You know, there is some, and it's it's very odd that you know something will, you know, I'm really like it really into like, you know, costume sketches and stuff. And it really surprises me sometimes how valuable some are and how valuable some aren't. You could have two Adrian designs of Greta Garbo and one is worth 20000 and one is worth 2000 because two collectors think one is better than the other. So a lot of this is just like 
what people decide they want. You know, so I'm always surprised one way or the other what things sell for. I'll be like, wow, that one for twenty thousand, and that one for ten thousand. It doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't have to make sense to me because I'm not the collector who collects one thing over the other. I can tell you this. Men's fashions are pretty uncollected in general. It's very hard to sell men's wardrobe unless it's a real contemporary film like, like Russell Crowe from Gladiator. But if you just have a, a, a John Wayne jacket from one of his million movies, they're not very valuable. If you have something from one of the Alamo or one of his famous films, they're very valuable. Um, when Marlon Brando died, a reporter called me and said, oh, everything of Marlon Brando must have went up. I'm like, actually the opposite. Nobody cares. I mean, unless it's from Streetcar Named Desire or The Godfather, it's worth a few hundred dollars. Those are worth tens of thousands of dollars. So you, there's all of the... and. But in the end, that information is only meaningful today because we have such a small group of people who collect this. If the base of collectors doubles, all of it will be valuable because more people will start collecting things. You know what I'm saying? Is because the collectors now, we already know who they are. We know what they collect. It's not to say somebody might come along and say, gee, I want to collect John Wayne. I want to collect Marlon Brando. I want to collect James Dean. And as people have access, I think that'll be kind of like the disappointment factor will disappear as much. Mm-hmm. True. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, to register for a question, please press the 1, followed by the 4. And we have a follow-up question from Sammy Ternano with the TD Grapevine. Please go ahead. Hi again. I do have a question following up on what Jamie was saying. Um, How long of a process is it to make sure that the item is actually real and not fake? How long do you actually take to go through it and make sure well, there, everything is there, actually what it There's no, there's no time. There's no like, like it doesn't take a certain amount of time. It takes however long it takes till we're sure, you know, so it could take a day, it could take a year. I mean, it just depends on what the piece is. Like the spaceship I just described, it was six months before we even knew what it was. So, you know, with the carpet bag, we spent uh, several months from Mary Poppins' carpet bag working on it because we had to get high enough quality resolution images. And then, you know, it's it's carpet, so we really had to go through and match up every angle to determine which bag it was. So a lot of effort goes into it. Some things are self-authenticating, like, you know, when Disney mails me an identity disc from Tron, it comes from a production company, it's pretty straightforward, you know what it is. Some things, you know, people, commonly people will make the mistake and say it's one thing and it turns out to be another. I mean, that's very common. Okay, and, um, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Jim Manning with the MoviePropCollectors.com. Please go ahead. Thanks. Hey, Joe, again. Um, hey. After hearing you answer everybody's questions, and obviously we could see this with the show, um, your enthusiasm, how much you love the items as much as we do, you know, the ones of us who, like, also collect and you know, preserve items, and uh, it just brings back so many good memories. And a, a lot of people also focus on, you know, um, what something can go for, and you know, what's the highest, and this and that. But I think you, you touched on what really one of the most important things is: is to each person, it's going to be like an individual uh, feeling as to why they like doing what they're doing or why they collect. And it seems by w- watching. Um, you do it is like everybody else seems to get more involved and then they realize what what, what was my favorite film and I, I think that's great and it's, it's very important on um, 
you know, how you authenticate items and what things are worth. But when it comes down to the end of the day, it, it seems like you, you, you do it because it just brings so much enjoyment to yourself. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I love to see uh, people's faces because uh, any skeptic will come in and say, oh, I mean, like, you got to have a favorite movie. Okay. And then you break it down. You wouldn't buy that? Of course I would buy it. And it's so funny that, you know, that they'd buy that one thing if they could ever find that one thing because you do have a favorite thing. I got a guy emailed me the other day and he's like, oh my God, the Batman bust, the Shakespeare bust, I would buy that. This guy would never, he has no interest in collecting until he saw that. That piece resonated with him because he remembered it from his childhood. And that's the great part is exposing all of these things to people and saying, what was your favorite? What was your, what, it's all about nostalgia. It's all about you know surrounding your thing, yourself with things that make you happy, and this is what this is. It's, it's pop culture, and it's very nostalgic. And I think the good thing is with the Mary Poppins bag is when you showed the uh, screen grab and the uh, the matching of the digital photos. Is it's great when people can do that, and I, I love to do that with some of the items that I have. But people got to realize also you can't always do that. And just the other um, on the other side of the coin. Things can be seen far away, close up. So it's kind of like a bonus when you can do that, and I, I, I think that's that's great. And it's good to check different uh, ways that people can uh, authenticate items, and that there's more than just one way. It's good that you you point that out in the show, so people have all the yeah. And lots of things like like one of the things we sell are matte paintings, and just to understand what a matte painting is, we just got some Sid Mead matte paintings in from Blade Runner. And when you look at them on the face, you're like, what are they? And then when you look at the movie, and I'm like, well, that, that, that effect is basically a painting, an area then where the live action was filmed in, but this one part was an effect. And until you understand that a lot of that goes into filmmaking, you might not realize that what that matte painting was even used for. It takes a lot of these things. I mean, people always say to me, What's different? why is one prop so well made and one prop's not as well made, and they're both using the same film? And it's just like our TV show, like, like with Star Trek, you may have a hero principle prop that's used in close-up sequences that actually illuminates or does something. You may have a static prop, which is when they were running around or throwing them or putting them in their side holders. That wasn't as well made. It didn't have to be. So they're both real. They're both production-made. They're both screen-used. But the one that's the close-up hero that does something is more valuable. And that's one of the things people are going to learn about from the show, all those nuances about why one is more valuable than the other, even though they're both used on the show. That's great, and I, I just could tell it's from watching the first episode. It, it, it's it, it's apparent that you're going to be um, you're going to be known as if you're not as I know already, but for the people who don't uh, follow, you know, the hobby, that uh, it's going to bring all good for it and uh, educate people and let them know, um, you know, where they can turn to and how they who they can ask and the different areas they can check out and things they can do. So. Yeah, there's a wealth of resources, and that's what we're trying to do, present all these resources to people so they know how to do it themselves, and that's part of the journey. I think it's great. It's all, it's all good for the hobby. Thank you. Thanks. And we have a follow-up question from the line of Aaron Sagers with the Tribune Company and Paranormal Pop Culture. Please go ahead. Hello, Joe, again. Um, hey. Uh, what is the, aside from the Captain Kirk chair, uh, what is the most abusive use of an item, like something that's <laughs> worn out about town or used? Well, you know, like the captain, pro- you know the story of the captain's chair, then, without being in the bar, you know the story. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that the gentleman uses it as his bar stool, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, God, there's so many things. It's like, you know... Um, 
when MGM liquidated the lot, a lot of the things that they had were bought by theme parks and attractions. I mean, I got a phone call from a bar in Florida that had all this mutiny on the bounty stuff because the previous owner had bought it at the MGM sale for decor. So this was this little hole-in-the-wall bar, and basically it was like a dive, and all it was all the stuff from Mutiny on the Bounty. And the new owner was like, you know, I think when I bought this thing, the guy told me, but I'm not sure. You'd find that pieces were being used for dot boards. I mean, no idea. It was this furnishing because the guy that in the in the 70s that went out to you know the MGM sale bought this stuff as decor for you know a few hundred dollars and used it in his bar and suddenly you know again when when the guy realized that stuff was worth tens of thousands of dollars it quickly came off the walls. Yeah, and um, I I guess the other kind of question, sort of the very modern question, is do you ever think about the fact that with all of the special effects, the visual effects, the CGI? that there might be a, a drop-off with movie memorabilia. I mean, in the future, will there be just less of it to go around, less of it to auction off? No, I think the opposite will happen because I think that we're in love with CGI in 3D, and next year we won't be in love with CGI in 3D. And no matter how well they do CGI, it doesn't look as real as the models and the miniatures. And you can already see stop-motion movies are coming back. You know, Guillermo del Toro has got a new movie coming out. Tim Burton, you know, Henry Selleck, you know, Coraline. More people are going back to that form. You can't take a miniature ship and make the CGI version of it look as good as the model. And I think what's going to happen is as these filmmakers are pressing their boundaries with CGI, they're going to come back and say, there's only so much you can do where it's now become not real looking. You know, it's, 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 it's too, I think that was the, the recent Star Wars movies, they're just too perfect. There's no imperfections in them, and we all, we, I mean, we all, I got bored with them because it was like, it just, nothing looked real, you know, it just looked surreal, where the original movies were hokey and great because they were real sets and models and miniatures, and I think that you'll have a forever-ending cycle of it'll be one way, then it'll be another way, you know what I mean? So I think that'll always change, and they've been making movies a long time, there is, all over the world, there are things in Italy and France and Germany and England. So I think it'll be quite a while before we exhaust what's out there. But And they're making new ones every day. I mean, the new Tron movie, you know, it's all props. I mean, there's a lot of CGI, but the identity discs, the costumes, the vehicles, those are always going to be part of the... If they get it down to where it's basically an actor's voice and it's, and it's a CGI, it's a cartoon. So I don't think that'll happen. You know, I hope not. I think it would be a travesty to filmmaking. Has there been a prop or, or an item that... Um, has resonated especially overseas from an American movie and um, you know something that uh, is very big in Japan for instance that Jurassic Park is huge in Japan when I, when I, when I, when I sold Stan Winston's uh, first round of his material a lot of the Jurassic Park stuff I sold ended up in Japan Japanese huge consumers and you know but we have people from 150 different countries who collapsed I mean Spain Greece Germany France South America Brazil you know Canada I mean China just everywhere Russia I mean you know it's 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 a it's amazing the interest but I would say Japan is definitely a large consumer of American pop culture mm-hmm. and what is physically the largest item that you've had to deal with 
the largest. Oh, I'll tell you two stories real fast. So I get this catalog one day from an English auction house. This is about 15 years ago. And I see this miniature model of Titanic. And it's basically the hull of Titanic. It has Titanic on it. I'm like, ah, oh, this would be cool. I'd love to have this on my desk. 22 inches long. I'm like, perfect. I got a great spot for it. So a few months later, you know, my one of the girls that works with me comes in and says, what are you going to do with this thing? And I'm like, I'm going to put it on my desk. And she's like, Joe, it's an attractive trailer truck. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, I didn't read it carefully. It was 22 feet long. <laughs> and it was about six feet tall and about eight feet wide. And I wonder why it cost so much money to get here. But so to make a long story short, I had that thing in storage forever. So finally, we cut off the front of it, just sold the Titanic piece. And the guy that bought it, I convinced him he should make a bar out of it. I was happy to get rid of it. Um, so that's the, the biggest, hugest mistake, uh, you know, I think I've ever made. But no, we're moving things all the time. When I, the Stan Winston stuff just keeps coming back because... Because these T-Rex heads were the size of Volkswagens. I mean, we were moving things that weighed thousands and thousands of pounds. You know, we're moving vehicles all the time. Um, you know, but I would say the Stan Winston, you know, the full-size dinosaurs, they were pretty enormous. Yeah. Um, well, it's too bad that you had to get rid of the, the Titanic. I think, I think <laughs> it was my Titanic. I think you should have just gotten a bigger desk. <laughs> you know, but, but it was so funny. This guy came into the auction, and I had tried to sell it a few times to this one guy. I'm like, do you have a bar in your house? And he's like, why? I'm like, I have an idea. And he's like, he started laughing, and he bought it for 600 bucks, and he just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And we just cut <laughs> off the corner of it, and he put it in his, you know, and he, and he said it was great, you know, but it was just the perfect accompaniment. <laughs> That's very cool. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. All right. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining this call. Thank you so much, Joe, for your time. If anybody has any follow-up questions, please contact me directly. Um, I can provide a transcript for this call as well. Thank you.